0: This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Actually makes a difference in your daily Monday to Friday grind, then surrendering to him becomes so much easier. And so this is why we're going to look at the book of Leviticus, and this is why I said to all my colleagues, and you're not preaching Leviticus? Leviticus. Um, you know I've been thinking about that scripture in 2nd Timothy chapter 316 that says all scripture all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching for reproof for direction for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete equipped for every good work and this is why we're going to look at Leviticus because all of the word of God is useful to us. Now, some of you said to me last week, we made it through one verse, Leviticus 1 verse 1. Is this going to be like a 95-week sermon series? I can assure you it will not, but I will also tell you that in this particular series, we're not going to get through the entire book of Leviticus. Dave told me to call it Leviticus 1.0 so that next year when we, we might not come back to it next year, but uh, we will come back to it. Okay. So, um, Last week, we laid the foundation about what the book of Leviticus was all about. The children of Israel, we said, had been in slavery for almost 500 years. And the question becomes how, and and now they're free. So how do you shape a new kind of people? And this is what God was doing in the book of Leviticus. He's trying to shape a new kind of people, people that had never been free before in their lives. And now God is saying, hey, listen, this is how you live as free people. And um, it's this idea that God is continually Leviticus calling His children to come near to Him. We're going to see that today. Um, and if you didn't listen to, if you don't, uh, if you weren't here last week, listen to the podcast. It'll give you a little bit of foundational, um, a place to begin. Okay. So this week we want to look at the first seven chapters of the book of Leviticus. And this is the book with all. This is the part of the book with all the sacrifices. Now, often, if you've ever read the Bible before and you've come to Leviticus, part of the problem is you get into Leviticus and it's like a lot of killing right off the top. And if you're, is anybody squeamish about blood? Listen, I know we have a lot of doctors and nurses and y'all are like, whatever, blood, who cares? We all have it in our bodies. I'm going to tell you that I'm squeamish about blood. I did not think I was squeamish about blood until I had children. And when my children get hurt or cut, particularly anywhere on their, I, I, You know, some of us go right into, like, um, fight mode, like you're going to sew things up, all the doctors who are going to be, all the people in med school, you just, you're right to it. Someone, this is your jam. For me, what happens, I don't, I go into freeze. It's not flight, it's not fight, it's statue. I turn into a statue. I, I want to move, but do you know, have you ever had that dream where you're, like, running from someone bad and you can't move? Anybody ever had that recurring dream? That becomes me in real life. You're ble- like, for instance, if you were to trip and fall right now, I would pray for you. But I would do so right here. I would not be able to move. Okay, so I- I'm going to square with you all that when I read the first seven chapters of Leviticus, yep, I'm hoping that those chapters go by quickly because there's a lot, a lot of blood being sprinkled and smeared and a lot of, and anybody else read them and think, yeah, weird. Okay, and, and part of the reason um, these chapters are strange is because we don't live in a near ancient, uh, we don't live in the Middle East thousands of years ago, so we're unfamiliar with this. Um, and, and really, these seven chapters though, For many of us, whether we know it, whether we've read it or not, have shaped our idea of what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to be a Christian. And you would say, what do you mean? I don't understand. Many of us have inherited a story about animal sacrifice, and it goes something like this. The gods are angry with me and are going to kill me, but maybe if I kill these animals and make sure the gods get their pound of flesh, they'll be appeased and happy and maybe they won't kill me or send a plague on my family. So this sounds barbaric, but this is how ancient um, Mid-Eastern people thought about it. The gods are angry at me, so like I'll try to feed them or something or give them something, and maybe they won't be then angry at me, and maybe like rain will come, and my crops will grow, and my family won't die. This was the narrative of the ancient Near East people, but if you've ever read uh, Greek classics or even heard of things like the Iliad, the Odyssey, or even uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, uh, you'll, rec- you'll recognize this storyline because this is found in every ancient Eastern story told. The problem with this is that if we layer this onto our Christianity, we get into all kinds of trouble. Um, it's a res- and and, and it's, a, it's a tragic story because our version the Christian version, goes something like this. Now, now I want you to listen to your own narrative as I tell you this. God is holy and perfect, you are not. Therefore God is angry at you or hates you or because he's holy and perfect has to kill you. And because, But because he's merciful, he'll let you bring an animal to him, particularly in the Old Testament, and you will have the animal killed instead of you. Thankfully, Jesus came to be the one who gets to be killed by God instead of me. And Jesus rescues us from God. So now we can, have, uh, we can go forever to the happy place after we die and not the bad place, okay? So it sounds Bible-ish enough, right? Because you got Jesus in there and you got, but, but unfortunately, our reading of Leviticus actually gets us to this heretical place. If this has been the story of your life, Like I became a Christian because God was really mad at me because I kind of mess up all the time and now God had to send Jesus so he didn't have to kill me. It sounds enough Christian, but the theology is actually twisted and it's a result of us not understanding Leviticus. And so this is why we're gonna talk about the sacrifices in Leviticus uh, today, okay. So in the first seven chapters of Leviticus, we're gonna go through it just uh, quickly and then I'm gonna talk about some of the details. In the first chapter of Leviticus, they talk about the burnt offering, or in Hebrew, it's called the ola. In the second chapter, we talk about the grain offering, and that's called the Minha. In the third chapter is the peace offering, or the fellowship offering, and it's called the shelamin. In the fifth chapter is the sin offering, the hatat, and in the, sixth cha- in the fifth chapter, we have the guilt offering, the yusham. Okay, couple things we have to know about this. The word offering is a really, really important word and it would have shocked ancient Middle Eastern people reading it. The word offering is the word korban and it means to come close. And really right at the beginning of Leviticus God is laying out these these regulations and a way of living for the people of Israel who had been slaves for almost 500 years And what he says over and over again is, I want you to give me an offering. I want you to come close to me. This is wildly wild for the people reading it because their experience, the neighbors all around them were doing offering or were doing sacrifices all the time, not offerings. Their gods, in fact, were not saying anything about coming close. They were just appeasing the gods, but our God, in Leviticus says, listen, I'm not like anybody else. I'm a God that calls you to come close to me. At the beginning of Leviticus, we see that the God we serve is a God that looks at you and says, come on, come close. Can you see already at the beginning the Father heart of God? Okay, now... Um, The first three offerings here, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the fellowship offering, or the peace offering, these are voluntary offerings. Now, oftentimes we read that and don't understand that. The the first three are voluntary offerings. God wasn't saying you have to, you would bring the first three offerings if you felt like your life was like great, and you had gratitude in your heart, and you were just overflowing with joy, then you would bring one of these three offerings. Now, can you see why this would be important? for people who had been in slavery for 500 years. When I started studying this, like my mind is blown because the whole time I've read it, even as a pastor, even as a seminarian, I had read it thinking like, here's all the regulations and just, no, these first three are just free will offerings. The book of Leviticus does not start with God saying, here's 75,000 things you gotta do, and if you don't do it, I'm gonna shoot you with lightning. No, God says, You know what? I freed you. I freed you, and I'm going to teach you how to live with gratitude and joy and in flourishing. This matters. This matters. And over and over again, in fact, 12 times in these first number of chapters, the the scripture in Leviticus keeps saying, oh, bring this offering, and it will be a pleasing aroma to God. Now, we, we read this without having knowledge of the neighbor's God's. This would have been wild for people to read, that God actually was pleased with his people. He he actually, he says it over and over. When you read Leviticus this week, because I know some of you did like a a fast scroll, you became speed readers. Uh, But when you read it over again this week, I, I want you to see how many times God says, and this offering will be a pleasing aroma to me. This would, have been, uh, this would have been a fresh idea for the people reading it. That God, the God of the universe, the God who created, and we, we, we talked about last week how the very image of the tabernacle was telling us that God was recreating a new kind of people. But this God who recreates this new kind of people keeps saying to his people over and over again, I, I'm pleased with you. I'm, I'm pleased with you. I, I love you. That's what God was saying. You see, the neighbors all around um, had this appeasement. They had to appease the gods. They had to tilt their the, their favor. There's a there's an idea in historical literature called tilting. You try to tilt things. Do you ever, I went bowling this week, and I thought about this. Do you ever bowl, and then you um, you tilt your body, hoping, I'm a terrible bowler, so this is maybe not for you who were on Bowling for Dollars in the 80s, but you bowl the ball, and then you tilt your body hoping that the bowling ball follows your tilt. Yeah. OK, so for people in ancient, uh, the Far East, um, they, they would often think that they had to tilt, themselves, tilt the gods towards them. You can see how many cultures uh, got to the practice, the abhorrent practice, of child sacrifice because they would bring a sacrifice and let's say it's been a bit of a desert. They bring a sacrifice and still no rain. So then what do you do next? You bring more sacrifices and still no rain. So you bring more sacrifices and still no rain. And you're thinking, like, if, I, if we don't get some rain, my kids are going to starve. And so you begin tilting the practice more and more until you're like, well, I guess, I mean, we're all going to die anyway, so I guess we'll just sacrifice our kid and hope hope it rains. In Leviticus, God is laying out a new kind of relationship with his people. He's saying, listen, you're going to bring an offering, a korban, to me. I'm asking you to draw near to me, and I am pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. So it would have been life-changing for the people reading it. Okay, and then the last two offerings are um, when you realize you've done something wrong. You've sinned. Leviticus doesn't begin with condemnation or judgment. It begins with God saying, um, I'm pleased with you. And when your life is filled with joy and gratitude, bring one of these offerings to me. And the last two offerings, I mean, this makes sense, right? Um, If you're going to be camping with people, with millions of people for 40 years, uh, you're going to do something wrong. I'm just going to say people are going to get on your nerves. Things are going to go wrong. And so God made a way for people to say, primarily, the guilt offering and the sin offering were about how we interact with one another and how we interact with God. And so this makes sense. I went camping, really, for the first time with my family this summer. Many of you were there to witness it. We did have a child that threw up the entire time we were there. I understand the guilt offering (laughs) in a very new way. And I wasn't even in a tent, so like you can understand, you got millions of people camped out in the desert for 40 years. God is making a way for people to make it right between each other. This is not a God of condemnation. This is not a God throwing lightning bolts. This is a God who's making a way for people to live amongst each other. I mean, some of of us could say, like, it would be really awesome if we could make it right between each other now, like after a pandemic. This is a God of order, not a God of chaos. He's a God that lays out things. Okay, so let's look at the specific things. Okay, so the burnt offering called the olah uh, <clears throat> In Psalm chapter 20, uh, there's, there's reference to this. May God accept your burnt offerings. The burnt offering meant that which goes up. It's like nothing is left. And it's interesting, um, I had somebody text me. And by the way, if you've got questions about the text, feel free to email me during the week. You can just go on our uh, website and I'd be happy to answer some of your questions. Um, But somebody uh, emailed me and said, what is with the bird? Why the different kinds of animals? Because it will say in chapter one, hey, listen, you can bring like a cow or you can bring a goat or you can bring a bird. It sounds like a kid song, right? Um, The the reason for this, though, is accessibility. God was saying no matter if, if, if you were really wealthy, then you had the means to bring a cow. Isn't it weird, though? Here's what's weird. They had been in slavery for almost 500 years, and yet there was still economic stride. Like, there were still the haves and the have-nots. Just tells you about our brokenness. But God made it accessible. If you had a lot of money, you could bring a cow. If you were like a middle-income earner, you could bring a goat. But if you were poor, God didn't say, you can't come near to me. God said, you can bring a a bird. And, And birds were accessible to anybody. This is really important for us to see. In the very first chapter of Leviticus, God is saying, I'm a God who's calling everyone to come near. No, no matter who you are, no matter what your background, no matter how you lost all your money, no matter what bad investments you made, I am the God of everyone. If all we had was the first chapter of Leviticus, like if, if you were somewhere where all you had was, listen, you could learn a lot about God. That he is a God that calls you to come near, and he's a God that says, no matter where you are, I'm your God. Um, okay, and then he he keeps telling them he's pleased with them, and then we get to the grain offering. This is called the minha, and the minha was just like a gift, a gift that um, people would bring. We saw that Gideon brought a minha in the book of Judges. Um, it was like when you were like filled with like. Yes, things are going awesome. Thank you, God. And you would bring a minha. Now, the minha uh, was um, a sign of respect to God. And we'll go, just go to the next uh, slide. Thanks, Griffin. Um, the minha was made of a few things, and these few things actually matter. We could actually tell a whole um, message about it. They were. It was made of the finest flour, of oil, of incense, and salt. Okay. So now when you read Finest Flour in your 21st century brain, what you think of is going to save on foods and buying the fancier flour, right? The one that is double zero or whatever. Uh, but in the, in, in, you imagine you're camping out. Um, and flour was really coarse back then. And flour actually had to be ground up and crushed. Like this was a massive process to make it, um, to make it the finest flour. And I want you to just to hang on to that, for that thought for one second. And then it was mixed with oil. Oil was always a symbol of God's presence. From Genesis to Revelation, oil represented God's presence. And then um, the incense was put in with it. And the incense, it only gives off a smell when it's been crushed. You can't just, like, if you threw incense in with your food, you, you wouldn't smell it or you wouldn't taste it there, there is nothing happens until it's been crushed. And salt stands for a covenant, always. When people would make an agreement with one another, they would use salt as a way of saying yes to this. Can you see that the minha would have meant something really powerful to early Christians? Let me just read Isaiah 53 for a second. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The minha, which was like a gift that the Israelites would bring to God out of thanksgiving and respect, was a foreshadowing of Jesus' life to come. The crushing that would happen. The the breaking that would happen. Already in Leviticus chapter 2, there's a strong foreshadowing to the kind of suffering servant that would come and be our peace. Uh, this also is a reminder to all of us, and it would have been a reminder to the Israelites too, that though you are crushed, you are not dead. That, that though you suffer, we still have something to be thankful for. Every time you, they would give this offering, and, and every time I read this chapter now, I think about, I might be down, but I'm not out. I still have something to give to God. I still have something to thank him for, because it's in the crushing that his presence comes. It's in the breaking that that the, the incense from my life is... You know, no one cares. No one cares about your life when, like, everything's great, and you have a million bucks in the bank, and all your children rise up and call you blessed in the morning, and no one looks crazy Like... No no one's like, wow, you really... Do you know when they see Jesus in you? When things aren't very good. When things aren't very good and you're still blessing him. When things are like hard and like full of just garbage and you're still walking with your head up. Leviticus 2 has a deep, deep relevance to our lives. People want to see people who are crushed but not down. So we keep going. Okay, the fellowship offering or the peace offering, is called the shalamin. And you can hear, actually, the word shalom in this, um, in this offering. And this was, a, a, again, a, an offering that was actually a meal. In Hebrew, it was called the ziva, the meal that you would come and have. And this is about communion with God and with each other. So when you were just really thankful, or something has been wrecked in a relationship, because even back then... People were kind of terrible to each other. So you had to have the chalamine, right? You're going to have an offering where you say, God, man, things were not good between me and whoever your person is. But I'm so thankful, God, that you've brought peace. And again, we see a, uh, a real arcing towards Jesus, who himself will become our peace. This is why we must contend for peace in our churches, by the way. This is why we have to contend for a spirit of peace, because Jesus himself is our peace. He stands in our midst to be our peace. And that's why the enemy comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. He's coming to rob us of peace. Do you know, our our superintendent said this this week, and I've been thinking about it since he said it. He said the most important thing when you're building a community is that you'd build a community of peace. (sighs) That sounds nice. Uh, it's actually what I think we must contend for, though. As a church and as a people, if we're going to reach Calgary, we've got to be a place of peace. And that means we're a place of peace on Sunday. We're a place of peace on Monday. You know why so many people experiencing homelessness come here every day? I mean, yes, we offer Cheerios, and yes, we offer the soup that you make that's amazing. But it's also because there's a supernatural sense of God's peace in this place. People will come and people who are disturbed mentally, the peace of God can fall on them. So the Shalomene was a peace offering. Again, these first three were just um, free will thanksgiving offerings. And they are really about, you imagine how much anxiety you'd live with if you'd been a slave, if your families, 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 families have been a slave, and now you're free. Like, that sounds good. Do you know how much anxiety is, is associated with that? Do you know they say that people who win the lottery, particularly those of us who, I'm pushing us all into this category, those of us who have not lived with millions and millions of dollars, and then all of a sudden you wake up one morning, you have $90 million. The, the amount of anxiety that people live with in that is, is overwhelming. Partly because as humans, we're not, go, we're not good at going from nothing to everything. And that's what these first three offerings did. They helped people to not live with anxiety. They'd gone from slavery and building pyramids and being driven to like, hey, you're out in the desert and you can do whatever you want. And God taught the people. Leviticus laid down the tracks to teach the people how to, how to live with thanksgiving, how to live with a flourishing spirit. And the last two offerings are about sin and guilt. So I just want to talk for a few minutes about sin. Um, in Leviticus, uh, human sin is an act that vandalizes and infects and defiles God's good world. And this idea is rooted in the idea of Genesis chapter 3 where uh, Adam and Eve went in rebellion to God. And sin results, always results in fractured relationships and it leads to power struggles and violence and widespread systemic evil. And we see this in Genesis. Adam and Eve's kids become murder, or their one child becomes a murderer. I mean, it didn't take very long to go from like, isn't this wild? You went from being in a perfect garden to then your child murdering another child. Like, this tells you about humans that we are really terrible at staying on track. If you're terrible at staying on track, praise God. I mean, this is just the story of the Bible. You're like a Bible character. Hope you wear a robe next week. Okay, but all of this corrosive and defiling effect... um, is not just it doesn't just affect the wrongdoer but on the entire community and we see this from scripture um and you have to remember that leviticus leviticus tells us that god has come and made his dwelling in the tabernacle so god has actually come from heaven to earth and so sin doesn't just affect us but it actually affected god's world the place where god lived And this just isn't a common space. It's the meeting place of heaven and earth. And so really sin in Genesis and Exodus is about humans introducing corruption, pain, and death into God's world. And if, listen, if God decides I can't take it here because he is holy and good, that will leave Israel totally by themselves. Okay, so Israel had some understanding that sin was a major issue. The Israelites are sinful and corrupt humans, and they are going to keep sinning. Um, And so they're in desperate need of God to purify and cleanse them. The Israelites needed a system that could turn uh, them away from sin and pay their sin debt. Okay, so this brings us to the practice of animal sacrifices. Now, by the way, this was a very, very ubiquitous practice in the ancient Near East. Very ubiquitous, like all the neighbors were doing it. Which tells us, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it tells us something about God. Because God could have said, couldn't God have said, hey listen, what I want you to do is gather 465 leaves every time you make a mistake and burn them. I mean, I just made that up. I want you to make bubblegum and chew it for a year. Like he could have, but instead he chose to use something that humans were already doing, except for he chose to show them a different way. This is the God we serve. It's like amazing to me that he took like a weird human invention and went, all right, I can use that. Huh. Okay. For the Israelites, the cutting of the animal's throat and watching its blood drain from its body was a visceral symbol of the devastating results of sin and selfishness. It was actually like a, whoa, we did this. Parents, do you ever have it that your kid does something really naughty? And, like, they say, I'm so sorry, but you know, I mean, even if you're not a parent, you've done this before. They're not really sorry. (laughs) They're not sorry at all. What they're sorry about is that you're yelling at them, and they're trying to get you to stop. Yes? And so what you want to do is have a visceral symbol of what it means that they've done. In my house, that means that you go to bed at 6 o'clock at night. And praise God, it's getting lighter out right now and kids are playing outside. Do you know it's a visceral symbol? Kids playing basketball on the street while you're laying in your bed. <laughs> okay, so this was a visceral symbol b- because animals were important. They were a sign of wealth. Sin released into the world... Um, Like, because you think, well, like, a lot of what's talked about in Leviticus is like, they stole the donkey, if someone steals the donkey, if someone talks bad about their neighbor, and you think, well, it's not like they were murdering people, but you understand that compounded 10,000 times, 10,000 times, 10,000, it creates a world of sin and corruption. Sin released into the world compounds and begins a downward spiral, and we've seen this before in the biblical story. So the animal's symbolic death is a symbol of what was really at stake, the life and death of the community. And the second part of this symbol has to do with the covering of sin. The Israelites saw the blood of an animal as a symbol of the animal's life itself. We know this from scripture that says that the life is in the blood. And since blood represents life, or the opposite of death, it's sprinkling on the temple. Like so, you would kill a bird and then sprinkle its blood on the temple. It was acted like a detergent to bring life, because life was in the blood, to bring life back. To the community and it was a really really in-your-face way of saying sin brings death and blood like we actually need life okay so it wasn't just a a symbol though of sin's tragic consequences it also offered a symbolic substitute if sin vandalizes God's word with death and pain, then God has every right, we know this, to make the people feel consequences because God is holy and just. This is the theme running throughout the book of Leviticus, that God is holy. Um, and and um, the substitute, though, is not offered by humans. Here, here's, here's where we get it kind of mixed up. The substitute's not offered by humans. It's, it's given by God himself. Hmm. It's not the human saying, God, can we appease you? It's God saying, listen, I don't want you to live in this death and condemnation. I'm therefore going to give you an animal so that you can live in my grace. The symbolism of animal sacrifice in the Bible is a concrete expression of God's justice and his grace. Okay. So those are all the sacrifices of the the ha'tat. And then the Yusham, the sin and the guilt offering, they were for if you've messed up. You know, the hardest thing for us to do as humans is to admit we've mixed, messed up, even though in theory we all know that we do this all the time, yes? It's a hard thing to do. In Leviticus, God gave the people a way, a way to say, I've made a mistake and God provided them with this. Okay, I want, I want to just go through a few fun facts before we put this on the ground for ourselves. First of all, and these are some of the questions. Every week I want to do this because some of you have asked me questions, so we're going to answer them quickly. If you've read Leviticus, you'll say to yourself, why all the repetition? Why do they keep saying things like three times? I got it. I got it already, but I I want you to remember that um, over and over again, they'll say the same, same things because when Leviticus was written, there was no printing press. We are the recipients of printing press, Gutenberg, and all those good things. Leviticus was meant to be an oral book. And so the repetition over and over and over again is because um is because they wanted people to get it in their hearts they wanted people to learn it how come there's so much instruction with all the parts of the animals like put the put the liver here put the the kidney they're really big on telling you where to put the kidneys it's it's wild most historians would say this it was for health reasons they didn't have refrigeration like we did, so it's for health reasons. But also there were symbolic, some symbolic uh, reasons for it. The, the neighbors did it one way, and God just kept saying, listen, you're not like the neighbors. You're going to do it this way. You're a different people. You're a chosen generation. You're, you're to be a kingdom of priests. And so sometimes the way that God, God told them to do it differently was just, was just to tell the Israelites, you're not like everybody else. I'm not like just another God. I am the only God. You're going to do it this way. And we, we've, we uh, covered this, why all the different animals? Because of accessibility. Or God says to everybody, you're welcome to come. Somebody asked me this question. Why was God mad about honey in Leviticus? You weren't allowed to add honey to any of your, like on the surface, that's kind of seems like, honey seems like it would make the a, a food taste better. And God in Leviticus says, why no, is God just mad about sugar? He's on the no sugar diet. the the reason for it is that the neighbors again we go back to the neighbors the neighbors would use honey and said that it was like a sacred sacrifice god just said nope we're not going to do that in my world everything is good everything i created is good therefore you're not to add honey because i i actually i actually don't need that god was always saying to his people you're different you're different i am the only i am the only god why a male without defect I had a few of you mad about this. Why not? Why couldn't they? Why couldn't they slaughter female cows? It was really about uh, expendability. This became like a real like, you know, the females were the ones having the babies. If you're out in the desert for for 40 years, you got to make sure that you keep the population of animals coming. So some of this, listen, some of this, and these are good questions, really good questions. When you get into the Word of God, the thing you want to do is ask a lot of questions. Why so, an, why so many animals being killed? Um, if you find yourself thinking, we should be moved beyond this, winking at you a little bit, you, you know what's coming. It's why the Bible was writ, written the way that it's written. Um, this is exactly why the Bible is arranged this way. And it's a foreshadowing to Jesus. But it's important for us when we're reading Leviticus not to get all judgmental, like they killed everybody. And I want you to know that if you ate chicken nuggets this week, You were part of the slaughter of millions and millions of chickens. And in some ways, in many ways, in fact, the book of Leviticus actually shows us what it is to be caring for creation. Do you notice all the time it says, place your hand on the animal's head? Part of that was because you and I are connected to creation. When it says that you had to um, bring a male without blemish, do you know how hard it is to raise an animal with no blemish? If you have a dog right now, think about your dog i have a one-eyed dog it can see with one eye it's got hips that don't work it would not work for a sacrifice and i have tried hard to keep this dog in shape Uh, leviticus the 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 god of leviticus god himself said listen we're not going to just whatever god really made the people care for creation this matters this matters so I'm just encouraging you as you're reading the book over these next couple weeks. I mean, don't call PETA. We should temper our judgment here, because the way our we just like really disconnected as a people, and particularly as city people, we're very disconnected from our meat, from our um, chicken nuggets. Okay, so why does this matter to us today? I'll just quickly say this: why, why does all this matter? Why why do we have to learn this? The first reason is this. The God of Leviticus is the same God today. He is not a vindictive God. He is not a God that is far from us, telling us to do 50,000 things, and if you get all these things right, then maybe He'll accept you. He's a God that sees you no matter where you are, no matter what strata of life you find yourself in, no matter what your history is, He's a God who sees you and says, "Corban, come near to me. Come near to me." Leviticus is a bridge. This is what you, we have to understand Leviticus because it's a bridge to understanding Jesus. If you don't get Leviticus, you can't understand why Jesus had to die on a cross. But listen to me, this is the coolest, this is the coolest thing I learned this week or a couple of months ago. When the priests would go through those five sacrifices we talked about, they would do it in order every day. They would do the Ola, the Minha, the shelamin, then they would do the Hat, and then they would do the Yusham. And when they were done, those sacrifices, they would shout in, in, the, in the tabernacle, they would shout in a loud voice it is finished every day okay so now we're going to fast forward into the new testament when jesus died on the cross when he was ready to give up his last breath jesus yelled out as loud as he could it is finished I'm telling you this, that when the people of Israel heard Jesus crying out, it is finished, they understood that Jesus came to be the fulfillment of every bit of sacrifice there ever was. And our Jesus has said to us, for once and for all, we no longer have to to go through all of these things because he has become the sacrifice for us. And we, we have to see that it's not just a sacrifice; it's an olah, it's a burnt offering. All of us coming up to God, it is a shelamim. He is our peace. It is a gift, it's a minha, a gift of thanksgiving. We can live in a flir- we can live a flourishing life because of His sacrifice for us. Jesus came. You know, in, in, in Psalm chapter 50, God alludes to this. He says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. God never needed the sacrifices. It's not like God needed the sacrifices. We needed them. And in the perfect time, God sent Jesus. The last, the last reason Leviticus matters to us because we can be so thankful. We can be so thankful that Jesus came. Let me just read this from Galatians 4 to, 4 to 5. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You know, all throughout the Bible, God was using his father heart to call us near to him. But when he sent Jesus, he made it so that all of us could come. Maybe you're here today and this is your first time in church, or this is your first time in a long time. Today, I I want you to know that there is a God calling you to come near to him. He isn't a vindictive God looking to punish you or throw lightning bolts at you. He's a God who's made a way for you to come very close to him, through the person of Jesus. And this has always been his heart, and this has always been his plan. He is not two separate gods, like the mean God in the New Testament, nice God in, the old, in the, in mean God in the Old Testament, nice God in the New Testament. Or maybe you're here today and you've accepted Jesus, but maybe you've drifted out of relationship with him. Today, I, I simply want to call you to come close to him again. You see, uh, the book of Leviticus reminds us that the God we serve goes to extraordinary lengths to see people come into flourishing, extraordinary lengths. It is no secret that we don't do very well on our own. Just look at the world. We don't do very well on our own. Well, this God says, that's okay. Corban, come close to me. Today, the story of the gospel is this, that God wants to come up and take up residence right in the center of your life. And in fact, in John chapter 1, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word means to tabernacle. He tabernacled amongst us. It's a throwback to Leviticus. I told you, you're never going to read the New Testament again. Leviticus is all over it. Jesus actually came to become our tabernacle. Right here, right now, Jesus has come and taken up residence amongst us. And we just have to say, Jesus... I need you in my life. The book of Leviticus reminds us that God is not far from us. All he requires is that we say yes to him. And today I want to call every one of us. Would you stand with me? I want to call every one of us to say yes to him. Thank God we no longer have to sacrifice animals. That Jesus' blood covers it all. But these sacrifices reminds us the point, the point of Jesus' sacrifice. It reminds us that the Olah burns up our impurity, that he is our peace, that he wants to take our sin, that we no longer have to live in shame. When you read Leviticus backwards, you really realize that when we say Jesus is our everything, he is truly that. Could every head bowed and all eyes closed this morning And I I wanna call you to say yes to Jesus today, to say yes to his sacrifice. If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never said yes to his uh, love and life, I, I just wanna encourage you to say yes to him today. For the sake of the person on your left and your right, I'm gonna ask that everybody would pray this prayer with me. I just know that there are people here today that have never, you've never said yes to Jesus, today is your day. Today is the day to say yes to him. So can we pray this prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be a sacrifice for me, to take my sin and far away, to remove my sin, to remove my guilt. I accept you now, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time today, I I want you to know that Jesus has come into your life, and this begins a journey with him. Maybe others of you are here, and you've been walking with Jesus, but maybe you haven't taken seriously his sacrifice for you. Today is the day you just say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to take seriously what you've done for me. I'm going to actually step into the flourishing that you have for me so God I pray for my brothers and sisters all across this place God I pray that you'd call us to flourishing in these days that God we would remember you with such uh, a holy uh, just excitement in our heart for what you've done for us God as we read your word this week I pray that you'd be transforming us moving us from strength to strength thank you God that you stretched out your arms and said it is finished (laughs) so that we don't have to do anything anymore we just have to say yes to you help us to get up each and every morning god and say yes to you yes to your ways thank you that you love us with an undying love that you are chasing after us calling us near to you god for those of us that are feeling far from you today i pray that we would hear the voice of your spirit saying come even so come lord jesus thank you for joining us today on journey church podcast for more information about our ministry visit myjourney.church